This is Roosevelt Griffin, 2014 Golden Apple recipient, and you are listening to Behind the Note Podcast with Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, welcome to the show today. It's a new day. Thanks for pressing play. This is episode number 62, and we have a great show for you once again. Today is the third and final day of, of promoting the presidential suite by Ted Nash. I normally don't do this. I've never done it uh, in this way. I uh, don't know if I'll do it again, but Ted Nash has touched my life as a musician in such a positive way through his work at Jazz and Lincoln Center that I really was more than happy to do this for him and his project, the presidential suite that's coming out. And today... Now, we were very blessed to have somebody who is a New York Times bestselling author and a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and a Grammy Award winning producer. And you might say, well, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, that's that's books. What does that have to do with music? Well, hey, I figure that we can use those same philosophies that our guests use to get to the top of these lists. Uh, best-selling list, apply those same philosophies to our music, to our albums. Uh, today we have a winner, uh, just a, a winner, a great guy, and I'm very happy that we can learn from him today. I'm very happy to introduce to you right now Mr. Kabir Siegel. Kabir, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. My pleasure. It's really wonderful being here. So we want to get to know you a little bit. I just introduced you, but Please tell us, what do you like to do when you're not working? What are some of your hobbies? Well, you know, that, that great Confucius line, find something you love doing and never work another day in your life. And I feel that's sort of like a motto for me that um, I feel like I have many jobs, but I love all of them. And um, as it relates to the arts, I'm, I'm a writer. So I've written uh, several books, one of them on music. One of my hobbies is listening to music and playing music. I'm a jazz bass player and and composer and librettist, and uh, I guess writing and music are my two hobbies that are also also work for me as well. Tell us a brief history of your life as a musician. Okay, well, I started playing um, the piano when I was a kid. Ended up uh, listening to a Miles Davis track when I was maybe eight or nine. Could not believe that they were improvising music versus reading it off a page. And that became my lifelong love affair with uh, jazz music, which I started playing the trumpet and moved to the bass when I was in high school. I was, my, my high school participated at Jazz Lincoln Center's essentially Ellington competition. So we came to New York and performed. That's where I met uh, Winton Marsalis. And um, he, uh, and I start, struck up a friendship. And he invited me on tour with him and to, um, really become you know to, to become friends in a way and that established my sort of lifelong friendship with members of the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra and uh, Ted Nash in particular I then moved to New Orleans to write a book on jazz music the same summer that Hurricane Katrina happened and I started an organization to help bring musicians back to the city of New Orleans and 
since since then, since my book on jazz music, I've been sort of a patron of the arts, working in financial services and writing, and using you know my resources to help produce music. So I think I've done about thirteen or fourteen albums now, with many more to come. Producing albums and work with a lot of great musicians from Arturo O'Farrell to Ted Nash. So I've written about the music in books. I've created an organization to help musicians uh, find more gigs in New Orleans. And I've uh, performed and uh, produced albums to further the arts themselves. All right. So you said a lot just then. So I want to dig into each of these things a little bit. So your, your, your music playing career, did it stop after high school? It's no, it stayed uh, during college. I, I played in the uh, jazz band at in college at Dartmouth, and subsequently, I um, played in on tour, and I played uh, with different musicians in New Orleans. So I've sporadically kept it up, although it's more difficult to keep it up when you have a full time job. Yes. Okay. So another thing that you said there, uh, and you said a real casual like, I love it. It's so it's so great. You said that you started a friendship with Winter Marsalis, and if I understood you correctly, that began when you met him at the essentially Ellington competition. Yeah, and it, what a you know incredible mind, not just as a musician, but as sort of a an observer of Mer- of Americana, and we um, started talking about you know the summer of two thousand four. He invited me to go on tour with him and uh, and uh, listen to his music and play his music and that same summer i was serving as a um, aide and a speechwriter on the john Kerry presidential campaign and it's on those long um you know rides across america with winton that we started talking about this idea of jazz music and american democracy and sort of the nexus between the two and that was the inspiration partly for my first book on jazz music and democracy called jazzocracy and so uh Winton's become one of been one of the most supportive and uh, leading intellectual lights in my life really a mentor to me as I've learned he's you know he would assign me reading and I would read it and uh I would tell him what I'm reading so it became really a, a conversation of of uh of books and philosophy and I would say he's probably one of the most important people philosophically uh, I was open to open up to the world of Albert Murray and Langston Hughes and all the great African-American writers of the 20, uh, many of the great African-American writers of the 20th century through Wynton Marcellus. Wow. Okay. So I, I want to dig into this just a little bit because it, it has everything to do with what we're, what we've come to talk about today. So today we come to talk about the presidential suite by Ted Nash. And uh, we've talked to Herschel and Ted already. And I want to really dig into your relationship building skills. As I as I read uh, your your biography, I've learned that you have worked with the best of the best. You work with champions, uh, leaders, and virtuosic people. Uh, literally champions. When we're talking about Evander Holyfield and uh, and uh, Deepak Chopra and Maya Angelou, and the list goes on. So I really I'm really interested in knowing. What is it about you that you're able to build these relationships with these people? And so you can use Winton as an example or, or you can 
talk, you know, in general terms, but, you know, the more specific, the better. What is it that helps you connect with people like you do? Well, Chris, I think, you know, if you take the example of Presidential Suite, the album I produced with Ted Nash, um, you really put the idea of the project first. And what do I mean by that? So, you know, Ted came up with this great idea for a project and you try to divorce yourself from, you know, the ego of the project. Meaning like when I reached out to people saying, hey, would you like to be part of this project? Whether it was, um, you know, Deepak Chopra or whether it was David Miliband, the Secretary of State, former Secretary of State for the United Kingdom, you, you don't talk about yourself as much. You talk about the project and the values of the project and what they will get out of it. And so what I always try to do when I approach people to bring them into projects is sort of, I guess, for lack of a better word, to present it or to position it of what they will benefit from the project. They'll be able to make a lasting contribution via the arts um, in a project. And so all the projects, everything you just mentioned about the people I work with, I try not to lead with how it'll benefit me, but really what value you can provide other people. And I try when I try to pick my projects, uh, I try to pick those that have a high artistic integrity that it'll attract people, speak to people on a um, on a level that maybe they haven't thought of before. And so that's the one of the guiding philosophies to me is make it count for other people and it'll attract people. And that sounds vague, but it's actually like a philosophy that I try to embody, whether it's I'm writing a book or I'm uh, composing music, try to think of this in terms of other people's and how that puts people forward instead of yourself. So you talked about one of your books, uh, Jazzocracy. Jazz, Democracy, and the Creation of a New American Mythology. Is that right? <laughs> Did I get that right? <laughs> That's correct. You have other books. I saw A Bucket of Blessings, uh, 2014. And uh, was, that, was that the New York Times bestseller, A Bucket of Blessings? That and my last book on uh, Coin, The History of Money. And Coin, History of Money 2015, which was New York Times bestseller and also a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, so this is what I'm getting at. I imagine that launching a book has got to be a lot similar to launching a, a musical album. So, so I'm asking, what does it take to get a book, in this case, to the top of the, the bestsellers list? I mean, I'm going to just pretend that we're talking about music here. It takes a lot of pain and struggle, my friend, (laughs) Um, which it's um, a lot of hustle, to be honest with you, because I spent four years working on my last book, uh, traveling to, you know, 20 countries, every hemisphere, looking at the history of money, the philosophy of money, the future of money. And I made a commitment that when I was writing it, I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm not just going to write this book. I'm going to get out there and, and push the book as, as much as I can, too, because it really was my, uh, you know, the book was probably the most difficult intellectual struggle I've had um, to date. And so I just made a commitment to get out there, and I wrote a bunch of articles, a bunch of op-ed pieces. You know, at, some, at one point I had written something like 60 or sorry, 50 op-ed pieces or thought pieces in like 60 or 70 days. I forget the time period, but I was just putting out content 
rapidly. Meanwhile, I was, you know, obviously reaching out to my friends and my publisher had booked me uh, on several talk shows on NPR. And so it also helped that I picked a topic that was uh, of interest, right? That that money is on, a lot of people think about money and my money wasn't so much about how to, my book wasn't about how to make the money. It was about our philosophy with money. Like how do we, how do we think about it? How do we, um, how do we think about using it, the behaviors with it? And so it was a combination of picking a, a book with a, a topic with a wide appeal, number one, of uh, writing a lot of content and sort of uh, content marketing the book through different publications. And my publisher booking me on a lot of talk shows and everything sort of came together at once and we popped on, on the list. So it was really gratifying to see that. And, uh, you know, I would just, my advice to anyone who's, who's uh, out there making their own music is make the music, but if it's not, it's, it's okay to sell it too. And I, I know a lot of musicians, a lot of creative people shy away from that salesman process. But you've got to get out there on the soapbox and push it. And if you're you have an album coming out, for example, this album Presidential Suite, I'm you know busy writing op-ed pieces for leading publications. I mean, we have the presidential election coming through right now, and most people um, are reading about the election in the news cycle. So the question is, I guess tactically, how do you connect your your project, whatever you're working on, to the news cycle? How do you pick something? Um, to connect it and pitch that to a to a, um, a newspaper or a magazine. That way you'll get the press. It's not enough just to put your art out there. You have to connect the dots and say, why is this important for the greater public to know about it? And if you can do that, not only will you attract the eyeballs, you may get the acclaim of getting you know a billboard, um, your, your deb- debuting on billboard or hitting a hitting a bestseller list. So you've got to do you got to take the last mile of connecting your product to the marketplace. That's really good advice. Thank you. So at the, when you have all of those things together, uh, tell us one or two things that we have to do to, to get the word out. Um, if that's emailing somebody or making a phone call, what's the process there? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a couple things. So, um, one of them is sort of is uh, well, what I said is when you have like presidential squeeze again a good example we have this album and it's launching in a few weeks and we have, we'll have a list of all the places we think that people should know about this I think a lot of people are tired of hearing about the presidential election and like the tenor and the negative tone in which it takes so we have a list of all the blogs and the podcasts and uh, the people who should hear about this. And then we're busy writing content. So the, I would say the first part of any strategy is content marketing. How do you develop the content and how do you apply that to the right vector? I mean, there's no reason why this jazz album, Presidential Suite, shouldn't be featured in a leading political magazine, right? Where a lot of people may not be interested or, or, or you know, know about jazz music. That's uh, very interesting. And then the second thing, obviously, is um, I think email Emailing people uh, directly and saying, "Hey, uh, have you have you seen this music?" And I'm not really, you know, a master in the email trade. I'm more of a content marketing guy. But I know a lot of musicians who who connect, writing, you know, thousands of one-off emails saying, "Hey, have you heard about this music?" 
because you know as a musician unfortunately people have gotten to the habit of just streaming music but if you want people to buy you're going to have to convince them hey this is it and then once you have some articles that have come out that say hey you know maybe this maybe this our album is featured in a couple political magazines then we can send that to um non-jazz people say hey have you thought about buying this so the content helps validate the product and that um, provides you more uh, marketing collateral to buy the book or buy the or to buy the uh, album. So it's kind of a self fulfilling thing. Get the article written and then send that down to hey, you know, New York Times says X Y Z about this thing. And do you would you say that this is something that a band leader can do on their own, or would they need a team to help them with this task? Well, I think it can start with um, the band leader. Again, the band leader should ask, like, how is what I'm doing relevant to my market, to the marketplace, or how is what I'm doing relevant to um, the broader community? Every band leader has an has an administrative hat too. They're not just you know getting the band members together and, and rehearsing. They're thinking about the gigs and how the, the politics of the organ of, of, of how people play well together. They're talking about uh, bookings and so forth. And part of that hat is marketing initially. I would say that any band leader should have some marketing collateral just lined up and ready to go, punchy and crisp that you can push out to people. And, um, you know, eventually it's good to have a team. I know, like, you know, Lincoln Center has a whole team that tries to provide content and content marketing to bring people into the arts. I know a lot of great young musicians out there that are hustling on social media, putting out compelling content, short videos to entice people to come and check out their music. You know, Gregorio Uribe, the Colombian jazz musician, does a great job of this. He His album uh, debuted, uh, uh, I was grateful to have produced it. He was a, he was a, this is a New York Colombian jazz guy. His album debuted on the Billboard charts. Why is that? Because he was just set, putting out amazing short contents of video um, that were going arguably viral. And so it can be done. You just have to be sophisticated and, and um, I guess, very smart about, about promoting your content. Now, first of all, I want to say congratulations on the Grammy Award you won recently. Thank you. And... Yes. Uh, what was? Tell us really quick. What was the album, and what was your role in the album? And most importantly, what was the work environment like on that album? So, the um, I've produced uh, two of actually produced several of Arturo O'Farrell's um, latest albums. One of them was called "The Offense of the Drum," and that oh, I was the executive producer, meaning that I raised the capital and an artistic producer, which is which really the, the credit I think that matters, which is having artistic input and making sure the project stands up as an artistic whole and the author of the liner notes. So, and how that album came about was, uh, was we were just talking Arturo. I've known Arturo. He was a, came to my university and was a guest uh, performer and, you know, rehearsed us for about a week. I took him out for lunch while in college. We just struck up a friendship again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, I produced his album and it won a Grammy for Best Latin Jazz Album of the Year. It got nominated, I think, for a Latin Grammy as well. And um, I said, look, he had a, a great idea about bringing all kinds of different types of percussion. Uh, and so we brought 28 types of percussion and we from you know from 
the uh, djembe to the uh, turntables, and we've created this great modern twist on, um, you know, it's called the offense of the drum. And that was great, but then I, the next album, which I did, you asked about the environment. I, I think it's more interesting to talk about this next album, to be honest with you. I was in India with a, with a client of mine, and I asked him, I said, what's your number one dream in the world on your bucket list? We had just seen the Taj Mahal. And so, you know, Kabir, my number one dream in life is to go to Cuba. And I said, all right, well, uh, why is that? He said, well, I'm from Argentina, and Che was from, was from Cuba. I said, okay. So then I called Arturo. I said, Arturo, let's do the next um, jazz album in Cuba. And that was the beginning of our album, Cuba, The Conversation Continues, where we brought about 60 people from New York City, you know, 25 producers, 25 musicians, staff, to Cuba to perform, to make this album about Cubans and Americans playing together. And we arrived the very next day. We performed at the U.S. Uh, embassy, the, the intersection, the residency of the, of the U.S. ambassador in Cuba. And the very next day, President Obama shocked the world and said, we're going to be normalizing relations in Cuba. And we were on the ground making this album called Cuba, the conversation continues. Think about that timing, Chris. We were there trying to be jazz ambassadors, but Arturo, you know, as a master statesman, we had brought people to celebrate the arts, and the world changed, you know, beneath our feet while we were in Cuba. That album was subsequently nominated for a Grammy, and it won a Grammy for the best uh, instrumental composition, which was the Afro-Latin jazz suite, which Arturo composed, which is just a masterpiece. So I was grateful to have the same role with that, to have produced it, executive producer, artistic producer, and to have written the, the, the liner notes. I'll always remember that that album because it was not just a musical journey, it was a political journey as well, where we're talking about how Cubans and Americans can be, um, can be you know, can be one together and it was emotional people were tearing up in the streets after 60 years this diplomatic frost had come off and we felt it was i know I'm going on and on but I, we could we could feel the energy uh in the studio that we were capturing something truly special of a diplomatic rapprochement after 60 years of of not talking to each other all right so i'm gonna do a little math here let's, let's do some math and thank you for being patient with me we're telling a little story here so we got the New York Times uh, and Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and we have the Grammy Award-winning project. And when we add those two things together, it equals Kabir knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. All right, so, and I'm just making a little joke here. But uh, but but now let's talk about the the presidential suite, which is written by Ted Nash. And tell us this story Tell us the story. How do you know Ted Nash? And, and what is this project about? Well, I met Ted um, in, when I was in high school again at, at Jazz and Lincoln Center. And then when he came up to the university that I was at, he you know, obviously was, was traveling with Winton. And we caught up there. And we were, I think we played basketball together because Winton always loves, just loves to play basketball in his downtime. And then a few years ago, I was in Atlanta. <clears throat> in, I'm from, from Atlanta. And Jazz Linga Center was performing, and I heard a piece that Ted had, written, had composed, one of um, Chick Corea's pieces, Windows. And it was just a beautiful arrangement, and I was like, man, this guy can write. I would love to <laughs> love to be able to work with him. So I said, Ted, hey, man, like, let's work on something together. He said, you know, I'm, I'm working on this thing, presidential suite. I said, well, let's, let's do something together. So we um, 
we set up a, an appointment and we uh, caught up in New York and I agreed to you know help raise some capital for the project and also to do the liner notes but also to bring a lot of to produce a thing to bring a lot of great um, speakers into and, and into the project and guest celebrities into the project to read some of these passages and you know, and you know, you've probably you've talked to Ted but really this this is um, I was drawn to this project I'd written a book on jazz music and democracy but I was drawn to the idea of how words are a type of music how words are basically they have rhythm they have cadence they have a, um, a tone to them and so the question was how do we get how do we talk about this together where jazz music and politics are really you know tied together and so my big thing is hey um, let's work on this together and let's make music together. And so it was really gratifying working on presidential suite and just the type of people we brought in was, you know, you, you've seen Deepak Chopra, Andrew Young, the type of people that we were able to bring in were people who were personally connected to those, to those speakers. And so that was how I got to know Ted and the project took, you know, several years in the making, uh, I think three or four years in the making to be able to bring it to this point. Now, you said some things in passing uh, that I find really interesting. You talk about choosing. You talked about choosing a topic of interest when, you, when you're creating a project. And then you also talked about choosing the right project to begin with when you're working with other people. So will you tell us what were some things that, that you're looking for that will lean you toward saying, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Well, sure. You think about any project that you are a part of. Most projects that I'm a part of take two or three years, whether it's writing a book or producing an album. So firstly, you have to like the people involved, right? Or at least maybe you have to, you have to respect the people involved. And Ted is of the highest caliber. Herschel's of the highest caliber. Um, and so, you know, you want to work with people who are at the top because you're going to learn from them. And then secondly, you want to pick a project that you're interested in because you're going to be, you know, I'm up the amount of details we're going through with this album of, you know, of the liner notes. We had probably 20 rewrites of the liner notes and the liner notes for presidential suite are about 10,000 words. And I wrote them with Douglas Brinkley, the CNN historian and, you know, famous presidential writer, uh, historian. You have, you have to live with these projects. So you're basically, you know, depending on your age, you're giving up, two, three, four percent of your life, of your moments awake, working on these projects. So it's like, you really want to be passionate about the topics or you want them to push you. And so what I look for is smart people who are talented, obviously, but also projects that resonate with me. Obviously, this presidential suite resonated with me because it's really a continuation of, look at the project I shared with you. You know, I talked with Winton about jazz and democracy. So I wrote a book about the nexus between politics and, and music you know working on cuba the conversation continues uh making this album while we we're in cuba making an album presidential suite about the nexus between um speaking and performing and how it's really performance art rhetoric is really a performance art these aren't just jazz albums jazz topics these are really for me they have a bigger philosophy which is politics you know um, humanitarian causes. And so using music to say this stuff, this can elevate us, right? So presidential suite is, is unlike other albums coming out right now. It's not just another big band album. It's, you know, you listen to this composition, you're like, there is music here and, um, oratory can bring us back together. So I was fine. 
I don't want to want to just do another big band album or another artistic project. I want to pick things that are at a high artistic value that are going to be like, wow, like they spent time really thinking about it, putting out thoughtful, thoughtful music. And how did you choose the guest for this album, these readers that were reading these parts? Well, Chris, it was a, it was a combination of two things. One was uh, who would who did we know, first of all, and uh, who, who, who could we invite? And then secondly, do they have a relationship uh, with the person we wanted them to, um, to read? So, for example, Deepak Chopra had asked me to be on his television show, or his radio show, rather, and uh, I know that he had grown up talking about it and learning about Nehru, the Prime Minister of India. So it was a kind of a natural extension to ask him to uh, to serve on uh, to to ask him if you to read Nehru on this album. Or for example, Joe Lieberman. I met Joe Lieberman when I was an intern at the United States Senate back in college, and uh, he he was uh, chose to go into public life because of of uh, John F. Kennedy's inaugural address. So it made sense to ask him, Hey, Senator Lieberman, would you like to participate in reading this passage? I said yes. And so again, it was who do we know and uh, do they have a personal resonance with uh, with the speech? Before I let you go, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about the album? Anything I might have overlooked? It's a fun album. I, I know the the topic can be, I guess, heavy, uh, meaning that you know, democracy, jazz. It may even come across as sounding a bit academic, but if you just listen to the music, I think you'll enjoy the music just for the music. I think you can put it on and uh, and almost forget about the larger message and let let the music do the talking rather than some of the speeches. So uh, it's a beautiful album. Uh, Ted Herschel did a fantastic job putting this together, and I think it's really um, it's the debut of not of Ted Nash the big band leader but i think it's the debut of like ted nash the conceptual artist of uh, people really hearing about there's a guy who's not just a sax player in, in the jazz Ling center band but really a deep thinker about how we connect two different spheres you know his last book was about uh, his last album was about uh, contemporary art and jazz music this one's about presidential speeches and jazz music and i think there's a real genius of taking not just uh, taking two ideas from different spheres and jamming them together. And I think uh, anyone who listens to this music can think about how can I create art like that? How can I take, for example, the stock market and apply that to music? Or, you know, just take two random ideas, collide them together, and see if you can come up with something truly unique. Yeah, that's great. I already have ideas based on uh, the presidential suite. I've already got new ideas for an album I want to write. So, this is already working well with me, and I want to tell the, the my listener here that I listened to a part of it. Presidential Suite is on YouTube, and for from a pure entertainment perspective, it's awesome. It's, it's just awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks it, so much, Chris. It starts with the blues, and you just get locked in right away. You get sucked in, and you don't want to. You don't want to stop. So. Yeah, thank you so much, Kabir, for joining us today. You've been great. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. And that is our show for today. Kabir, thank you so much once again for joining us. You really taught us a lot, and we're thankful for it. I want to take this time now just to point out a few things that Kabir taught us. One thing that he taught us is this. You want to work with people at the top to learn from them. And that makes perfect sense because they're the best. They know things you don't know. 
And so you want to use you want to use that to make yourself better because that's the goal. We, we should not be the same today as we were yesterday. We want to get better. I love that. Uh, when choosing an album or a project of any type to work on, Kabir taught us that you want to choose a topic of interest, not to you, but to the people, to the masses. What is something that's wide appeal to the people? And also, what is something of high artistic integrity and you want to make what you're working on attractive to other people he taught us that what we do is not about us it's not for us but it's really to serve other people and that's great it's a great philosophy to live life by so thank you again kabir for for joining us today we really appreciate you guys the presidential suite is something that you really want to lay your ears on support the project I heard some of it myself, and I'm going to buy the album myself. Uh, September 9th is the day that it's going live, and you can also pre-order it right now at tednash.com and everywhere that music is sold. That's all for today. God bless you.